0: We started a new series last week calling, called Discovering God's Will, and we're trying to take some of the guesswork out of figuring out what God wants you to do in life. God wants you to know His will more than you want to know it, and so He's written down some instructions. He's given us some ways to discern that, but we've got to put ourselves in the right position. So we started last week, and we said that there are basically three ways that the will of God is used in the Scripture. The first one uh, we talked about, we said that there are just some things God is going to do no matter what. It doesn't matter if anybody believes in those things. It doesn't matter if anybody prays for those things. He's going to do certain things no matter what. And what do we call that? The I got one person that remembers. Providential will of God. Thank you, Carlene. You get the prize. You're going to have to turn those lights up just a little bit, Jeff, because I can't see. Second thing we talked about. We said that there are things that God has written down in Scripture. 95% of what God wants you to do is already written down. And these are the do's and don'ts, the thou shalt, thou shalt nots of Scripture. And we called that the What? Moral will. Thank you. All right. We got three people that remember that one. Now, probably everybody that was here is going to remember the last one. We said that somewhere between the providential will of God and the moral will of God providence. He's going to do it anyway. Moral will. He wants everybody to do it somewhere in the middle of that. There's an intersection. And and we call that the, the what kind of will of God? Personal. All right. Good. We're doing better. I may just have to preach that sermon again. We may just start all over. So we said that somewhere God's will intersects, and 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 here's the big picture. This is what we said. This will remind you. The more familiar we become with the providential will of God, the things he's going to do anyway, the things he may want to involve you in, because he's always involved, men and women, in his providential will. And the more obedient we become to the moral will of God, the things he wants everybody to do, then the easier it is for us to discern what God wants us to do. Now, today's topic ought to interest everybody here. Because it involves a shortcut. I don't know about you, but any time other than when I'm riding a motorcycle, I'm always interested in the shortcut. I don't want to take the scenic route when I'm in a car going from point A to point B. I want to go the shortest distance. I used to go see Janie when she was in college. I was in Austin, and and she was in uh, Huntsville, Sam Houston State. And every time I would try a different way, because I was trying to get home the fastest way possible. And when I'm riding a motorcycle, I'll go the scenic route. But anybody else, you like Shortcuts. I'm not talking about violating the will of God. Instead, I'm saying that God has written down some ways, a a way for you to discern His will that's quicker than than just uh, studying everything. Because sometimes you have to make a decision by tomorrow. Sometimes you have to make a decision by Thursday. And you don't have time to study eight books of the Bible to figure out which principles of those books apply to your decision. Sometimes the pressure's on, the heat is on. You've got to make a decision. And God provides a way in the Scripture for you to discern His will that's faster than all those other things. We're going to talk about that today. And it's, it's contained in Scripture. God's written this down for you. It's contained in 1 Kings chapter 12. If you have your Bibles or if you have your smartphones, this is the one time it's legal to pull out your smartphone. You can get on version, Type in, uh, when you go there, go to live. Type in three. Any of those, it'll bring up the topic of today's sermon. You can click on that. The notes will be on there. You can follow along in Scripture there as well. Uh, so I'm going to have to tell you just a little bit about a background. This story is about a would-be king who stumbled onto this principle, this shortcut, and then as soon as he stumbles onto it, he violates the principle. So, background. Saul was the first king in Israel. Saul was a bad king. God ripped the king from his uh, kingdom from his family. Second king was a man named David. David was a good guy. He was a good king and for the most part he followed God's will. Uh, with all of his heart. He wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes, but God was so pleased with David that he said, Not only am I pleased with you, but I'm going to tell you something. The Savior of the world, the Messiah of the world, is going to come from your family. That's a pretty big honor to know that your great, 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 great grandson would be the Savior of the world. He said, I'm going to bestow this honor upon you. And when he comes, you will never lack someone on the throne because this Messiah is going to live on the throne. So God was pretty pleased with David. David dies. And his son Solomon becomes king. And Solomon starts out great. Solomon was very young when he became king. He was not the logical choice. He wasn't the oldest son, all that stuff. But God said, I want him to be king. And so God says, Solomon, you can have anything you want. And Solomon says, I'm, I'm young. I don't know how to govern these people. Give me wisdom. God was so pleased with him. Not only did he make him the wisest man that ever lived, God blessed him with all kinds of riches. God blessed him with peace. David had wanted to build the, the temple. And God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. Your son, who's going to be a man of peace, he's going to build the house for, for my people to worship me. So it started off so good. And then Solomon, he started collecting wives, kind of like people collect baseball cards or stamps or you know coins, things like that. He got up to 700 wives and 300 concubines. Wives, the legal tradition of the sense, concubines, those are the ones that if he just didn't like sex from the others, he could go have them. All of this violated God's will. And God became so disgusted with him, he said, I'm going to rip the kingdom from your, from your hands, at least most of it, from your family, because you've dishonored me in front of the nations. And he said, but, but because I loved your dad, not because I loved you, Solomon, but because I loved your dad, I'm going to leave one small part of the kingdom in your hands, but I'm going to rip the rest of it, and I'm going to give it to someone else. So God raises up this prophet. This prophet goes to a guy named Jeroboam, and, and we're just going to call him Jerry for short. <laughs> And and God says, Jerry, you're going to get to be the king because I'm going to rip the kingdom from Solomon's hand. He's going to get one part because I, I loved his father David, but the rest of it I'm going to give to you. Now, God predicted that Solomon would violate these commands. He said, if you follow foreign women and go after their... Gods, Which is what he did he started marrying all these princesses from other countries and they worshiped foreign gods and and because it was politically correct and i'm not making this up because it was politically correct at that time that you had to allow your wife to worship whatever god she wanted to he allowed these women to come into his kingdom and not only did he let them worship gods that were detestable in the sight of our god he actually started building temples and altars for them to go worship them and god says you disgust me. Because you disgust me, I'm going to rip the kingdom away. You're going to get one part because I love your daddy. So he tells Jeroboam through this prophet, Well, Solomon hears about it, and he tries to kill Jerry. He says, No, I'm not going to have this tarnish my legacy. So he tries to kill him. Well, Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Jerry runs to Egypt, and he hides there until Solomon dies. Then when Solomon dies, everyone thinks, because this is the way kingdoms did it, everyone thinks, Well, Solomon's oldest son is going to become king. His name is Rehoboam. And and so everybody says he's the logical choice, he's oldest, let's go make him king. Before they make him king, they said, we got one little bitty request that we want to make of you. And that's where we pick up the scripture today. 1 Kings 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, which was one of the major towns there, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat... Heard of this? He returned from Egypt because he hears Solomon's dead. Okay, it's okay for me to go back. He's not going to try to kill me. He returns from Egypt for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him because they knew Jeroboam was a leader. They summoned him. They said, "Come back!" And Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father, they said, was a hard master. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Okay, so the people come to him. They say, your logical choice. We want you to be our king, but we want you to be a different king than your daddy was. If you will lighten up a bit, we will serve you wholeheartedly. So there's this huge decision that Rehoboam has to make. Because if he says, yes, I'll lighten up, he might appear to be a weak king. And nobody back then wanted to be the weak king. You know, you're the you're the fourth king in the nation. You don't want to be a weak king. And, and he might be thinking, well, if I give in to this demand, what are they going to come ask me for next week? I don't know what they're going to do. And this is a huge decision right at the beginning of his reign. And he doesn't have the wisdom. He doesn't have the experience because he's never served in this capacity before. So he does a really smart thing in verse 5. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Now, one of the wisest things you can do is if somebody's pressing you for a decision, you can say, give me some time to think about it. Um, I shudder to think what would happen in in Janie's life because there was a guy before me, we had broken up and, and we were apart, and this guy, she dated and she kind of liked him, but he was, he was a jerk. And she said the good times were really good and the bad times were really bad. He didn't physically abuse her, but he mentally, emotionally abused her. And, and told her she was fat and ugly and she would never get anybody else and she might as well marry him things like that And I'm, I'm just going oh she told me this stuff. I wanted to hurt him, you know in the name of jesus um In fact when I proposed to her he calls her and said you're marrying the wrong guy and she wouldn't tell me his address because Man of god that I am, um, I wanted to go hit him um but He gives her this deadline. He he they'd been apart. He shows up unannounced and he says, I think we should get married. And she's like, What? He said, I want you to marry me. And she's kind of overwhelmed and she did a smart thing. She said, Well, let's talk about this tomorrow. So all night long she cries. And she says, God, I don't know what to do. She said, This may be the best offer I get. I mean, this is what she's thinking. So she said, God, here's what I'm gonna do. She cries, cries, cries. Early in the morning she says, God, here's the deal. I'm going to suggest we do this. If he says, okay, then I'm going to date him and maybe marry him. But when I say we're going to do this, which she said, I think we need to get to know each other. We don't need to commit to marriage. We've been apart. We've we've changed. Let's get to know each other. Let's take it slow. She said, if he says, okay, then I'm going to take that as a signal from you, God, that maybe I should pursue this relationship. If he says no and gets mad, I'm going to know we're done. And so she goes into this meeting with him, this guy that had been kind of abusive to her, and and she says, "I really think that we should really take it slow and we should um, we should get to know each other." He blows up and he says, "No, you need to marry me now." And she said, she said she kind of just smirked and said, "This is of God. We're done. We're not going to date. Leave." And so he left, and I'm like, "Wow." I'm glad, I'm glad God answered your prayer because Janie should have done the second thing that Rehoboam did. She asked for some, he- for some time, but she didn't ask for help. Look what Rehoboam does next. He does a very smart thing. When we've got so much at stake, when the emotion is clouding our decision-making, when the pressure is on, we need to ask a second thing, and this is in verse 6. Then King, King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had uh, counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to those people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal servants. Rehoboam goes to some older men who have experience, who have some wisdom, who had seen his father through major decisions. They'd seen the good consequences. They'd seen bad consequences. They served him for 40 years. These men had perspective, and they were older than Rehoboam, so he asked, what should I do? And they gave him some counsel that was straight from God. If, unlike your father, you will be a servant leader, they will always serve you. They said, there's no harm in lightening up a little bit. If you do, these people's hearts will be uh, devoted to you and they will serve you forever. And if Rehoboam had taken their advice, I believe it would have been completely different for him as king and for the nation of Israel. But the king was a major dork because look what he does in verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. Rehoboam went to a new level of stupid that's recorded in the pages of Scripture so that you and I don't make the same mistake. Wisdom, people say, oh, uh, wisdom is learning from your mistakes. No, 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 no. True wisdom, better wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others so that you don't have to experience it. Here's a new level of stupid and we don't want to go there. Look what he does. He asked the guys, <laughs> the young men, what should I do? And the young men replied, this is what you should say. Tell those complainers who want to lighten the burden. My little finger is thicker than that of my father's waist. And, and so what they said in those days is, you know, you think my daddy was bad. I'm twice as bad. I'm tougher than my dad. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier my father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. And he didn't mean literal scorpions. He meant that his dad beat him with whips. Well, he was going to put whips with bone and, and, and chips of metal and things at the end, kind of like the cat of nine tails that they whipped Jesus with before he was crucified on the cross. He said, I'm going to whip you even harder. So basically, the inexperienced punk said, tell them, if you think my daddy's tough, you ain't seen nothing yet. And whose advice do you think Rehoboam listened to? The dumb people, the young punks. And that day the kingdom was ripped from his hands. Verse 15. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord. There's that phrase again. For it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam. If you read all the rest of this passage, it actually says that the people were literally astonished. At the king's reply and then they get angry and they say some really bad things about his family. Oh, not only are you stupid, but your daddy's stupid. You know, they start talking noise about his family. They leave and they take 10 of the 12 tribes. They take them up to the north and they say, Jerry, you're wise. We're going to make you king. Is that the outcome that Rehoboam wanted? He thought he was going to be tough and everybody's like, you're going to be tough. We're leaving. So they go and they make someone else king and Rehoboam, his story is there so that we can see how dumb he was. Now, this is one of those times where the providential will of God intersects the personal will of the person. Because this says it was the will of the Lord that the kingdom be ripped apart from, his, from, from Rehoboam's family so that he could, God could give it to Jeroboam. This was providential will. It didn't matter what this was going to happen. And any time your will intersects with the will of God, whose will wins? The providential will of God. There's not a question about that. It's going to happen no matter what. Many times the choices you and I have to make are so close to us that we can't see what's going on. Let me give you an example. Love. You ever seen someone do something stupid in the name of love? Uh Uh-huh. And you may have done it. We won't ask for testimonies. That would take way too long one of the primary ways that God wants to give you wisdom is through other believers in Christ. But when we're in love, we're in this fog, and it's really difficult to see through the fog, right? And we make dumb decisions that everybody else is going, No! Don't do it! And you can't hear it because you're in the fog and you're in love. And love's going to make us last. You believe the love songs. You believe the stupid movies, you know, with the sappy endings. I only watch those because my wife likes them. I mean, I'm sitting there going, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. But she kisses me afterwards. So I do it because it works. Um, (laughs) Some decisions are beyond our expertise. Some of you are going to consider someday going into business and you have zero business experience. So don't talk to people who have zero business experience. Should I start a business? Should I take out a loan? Don't go to people who are in debt and ask them if you should take out a loan. Don't go to bankers. I love bankers, but don't go to bankers and say, should I take out a loan? Because most times they're going to say, yes. I mean, come on. I'm not. Sorry, Brad. I'm not talking about Brad. Brad's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. But you understand what I'm saying? That's not the best place to... When you're looking at the shiny new car, is not the best time to decide whether you should buy that car. Bring along some, some frugal people and ask them... First time I bought a home, I could not believe. Janie and I bought our house, um, in Arlington, South Arlington. We couldn't afford North Arlington around where we were, uh, where I was serving in church because that was where all the old money was and big houses. So we buy every young person in our church, everybody under 20, under 30 who bought a house, bought in South Arlington. We all drove 20 minutes to get to this church, drove past probably 150 churches to get to this church. Strangest thing ever. First time we bought the house, we were, we were sitting in there in the, in the lawyer's office and we're signing papers. And I thought we were giving away our firstborn because we're signing. And I had no clue what we were doing. We were newly married about two years. We'd been married, bought our first house. And, and so I looked to my friend who was a, a Christian real estate agent. He was in our church, a good friend of mine. And, and I kept looking over here going, do I sign this? And he goes, it's okay. And then he would explain. And so I would sign it, you know, and I would do those things. And I thought, wow, this is the craziest thing I've ever done. And I needed someone else to help me understand what was going on. Believe it or not, there are some decisions that you are not equipped to make by yourself. We have this independent idea in America. It's the only place in the world where Christians think they're independent. Because the Bible doesn't talk about independent Christians. It talks about interdependent Christians where we all come together. And I'm not talking about, you know, one person lording it over you. I'm talking about God gives us each other so that we can make wise decisions. You don't find Lone Ranger Christians. What the Bible teaches, interdependence, interconnected. And when you try to be independent, most times, most times, you will miss the will of God because you're going to be over here trying to do it on your own. And God says, I don't function that way. If you'll open yourself up To the idea that maybe God could speak through another human being to you through other Christians, God will blow your mind with how clearly He will speak to you. But I'm amazed at how many times Christians ignore this option and instead they want to find a magic verse. Oh Lord, is this for me? Or, you know, they want to um, (laughs) look for a supernatural cloud formation that comes from Jesus, you know, with a big fat arrow or the image of Jesus in a grilled cheese sandwich to lead them the way. And I'm like, are you for real? Because the Bible has given us all kinds of instructions. Let me give you just several, real rapid fire here. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Do you want victory? The Bible says you need a lot of counselors. Proverbs twelve fifteen, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. How many times have you thought something was right? You made the decision without the counsel of others and you felt foolish, right? Anyone? Let's see hands. Let's just see hands. Okay, good. Y'all are still listening. Proverbs 13.10, too much pride causes trouble, but sensible, but be sensible and take advice. Proverbs 14.3, a fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him, but the words of the wise keep them safe. Proverbs 15.22, Plan, uh, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Proverbs 19.20, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life proverbs twenty six sixteen. lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors basically that means if you got a lazy stupid person they're not going to listen to advice i love the bible this is my favorite book before his crazy non-believing non-god following foreign wives led solomon astray he was the wisest man ever And he wrote down some really good stuff. And here's what he says. If you want to make wise decisions, you're going to have to involve other people in the process. You're not equipped to do it by yourself. So I want you to think back to the worst decisions you've made in your life. In the midst of those decisions, because every one of you can think of a decision, right? In the midst of those decisions, did you bring in wise, older Christians to help you? No, is the correct answer there. Because I bet anyone with an average IQ and an ounce of sense would say, Bad idea! But we didn't want to listen to others. And, and really, Christians are just as bad. If you're a non-Christian, you can say, Well, you know, I'm non-Christian. Or that was before Christ. You hear that all the time. Well, I made all of these really bad decisions before Christ. But now that you become a Christian, they're just as bad. Because I'll ask them. I hear stories and I'll say, well, Did you involve anybody else? Did you ask anybody what was going on? They'll go, No, but I prayed about it. Awesome! I'm all for prayer. I'm a professional prayer. I get paid to pray. I mean, I joke about this, but it's true. I go to this friend's house and I go dove hunting. Every meal, it doesn't matter what. Preacher, it's time to pray. I'm like, dude, other people can pray. Nope, you need to pray. And yes, sir. I will pray. And and have you noticed? The oldest preacher at the table always gets to pray. We go to a restaurant. And I'm always deferring to my elders. I like having... John around, because then John's older than me. He's like a month older than me, John Colander, But, you understand? I'm all for prayer. But God wants you to involve other people in the process. He has a tremendous gift for you. It's the wisdom and experience of others. I bet 90% of the time, if folks had sought wise counsel, they would not be in the mess that they're in right now. Many times people, I think they wanted to do the right thing. But they made a bad choice, and now they're mad at God. God, why didn't you stop me from doing, making this stupid decision? And God said, "It's real simple. You ignored one of my basic principles that I've provided the body of Christ to help you make wise decisions. Back when we were going to start new life, um, this was uh, some of y'all know the story. Some of you don't. I won't go into all the, the details. But I had um, I had an opportunity to go to another church in town." And it was between that and coming here. and all kinds of circumstances, lots, it's a long story. But right before um, we had to make a decision, Janie and I went out and we were praying. And I talked to some dear friends of mine. And they're like, I don't think that you're supposed to go to a, a traditional church. I think you're supposed to start a church. And, and Janie and I had written down what we, what we needed God to do. There were ten things that we'd written down that needed to happen if we were going to go to this other church. And eight of those were No. no, that's pretty strong. And then we started looking kind of at a last uh, effort. We'd written these things down months ahead of time, been praying for them. We looked at these 10 things over here. God would have to do them. We couldn't control these things. Nine of those were yes. And I'm going, am I stupid? And Janie's too nice to say yes. She was like, no, baby, we just, you know. I'm going, nine out of 10 is yes. And the other one wasn't going to happen until we said, yes, we would do it. And so we started a church. Um, Recently... Went through some stuff. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to be overdramatic or anything like that. Uh, but I went through some stuff in my life. And, and uh, I mean, this is, this is this past year. And I was seriously considering whether I was in the right profession or not. And I was trying to figure out how I could make a living. Um, how I could support my family <laughs> mowing lawns. Um, and, uh, and some very dear friends of mine pulled me aside and said, Dude. You need to not make this decision right now because you need to hear from God. And, and in the process of just taking my time, I believe I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I don't, you know, I've always said I was going to be here and, until, um, until Christ came or I died. That's, that's what I really want to do. And, and so some friends of mine helped, helped me understand that you don't make the decisions when you're hurting. That's when you're really vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And I was down, questioning everything about my life. And, and they said, slow down. And then slowly God began putting the pieces back together. And I realized that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You need wise counsel. If you'll listen carefully and strategically, God will blow you away with how clearly he speaks. We, we're going to do a course. Um, we've done it in the past. And they've revamped um, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's nine weeks now. And we're going to offer that. Here's, here's something, you'll hear this in our church, and if you said this, I'm sorry, I'm not going to use names, but I've heard this. I've heard people say, well, I know Dave Ramsey doesn't support this, but, you might as well say, but, I'm going to be stupid anyway, okay? Because Dave Ramsey was, he lost everything, had millions of dollars, lost it all, started doing things God's way, and now he spends the rest of his life teaching people how to do things God's way. Um, I, I study Gary Smalley. He's been a, a Christian counselor for 35 years. I study Willard Harley. If you go, if you're going to have me do a wedding, I require that you read Willard Harley's book, His Needs, Her Needs. I require that you read uh, Shanti Feldhahn's books uh, for women only, for men only. I take you through a whole bunch of stuff that, that counselors before me have have uh, discovered because there's wisdom in listening to others. So if you say, well, I know Gary Smalley says this or I know Willard Harley says this and his needs, her needs, but just, just don't even finish because I want everybody to go, but you're stupid. That's what I want the rest of that to be. Don't, don't say that. I want to spend just a few minutes. Let's finish this up. I want to show you how to hear from God through other people. And we're going to run through these rapid fire. First of all, choose the right people. <laughs> that should be... Self-evident, but it's not. And we'll explain more as we go along. Number two, choose someone who has nothing to lose by telling you the truth. This is huge. Rehoboam's friends had a lot to lose because they were the new advisors of the kingdom. If he had lots of power, his friends had lots of power. If he didn't have lots of power, then they didn't. As went Rehoboam, so went his friends. Don't ask people who have a lot to lose if you uh, make one decision or the other, we all have friends like this. We all have people that are more important, more interested in what our friendship does for them than they are in us as a friend, which brings me to the third person. Choose someone who is where you want to be in life. Don't choose drifters. Don't choose playas. I was just making sure you understood me. Choose folks who intentionally work on areas of their lives and they can coach you. Um, Sonia Richards Ross, y'all been watching the Olympics? I just have been—I've watched way too much Olympics. Um, but she ran the 400. She did not get the gold medal the last two Olympics, and she was favored to do so. So she goes out and she hires a new coach. His name's Clyde Hart. Y'all ever heard of him? Clyde Hart used to be at Baylor University, and he was famous for training people in the 400 meters. Remember a guy named Michael Johnson? His coach. You, uh, you may not remember um, Merritt. Is it is it LaShawn or Sean Merritt? He won the Olympics in, in 2008, and then um, I forgot the guy that won in 2004. So for like 12 years, Clyde Hart has, has trained world champion gold medalists in the 400. You know who Sonia Richards-Ross hired? That guy. You know what happened the other night? She won the gold medal because this guy had such wisdom about this race that he transformed her ability. She'd been outrun the, the backstretch the last two Olympics, not this year. Because she hired the right coach. You need to look around and, and you need to find folks who are where you want to be in marriage and finances and relationships. Where the, and they want, They're where you want to be spiritually. You need to say, 15 or 20 years down the road, I want to be where you are. Would you share your map with me? Because obviously you know how to get there. Tell me the pitfalls. Tell me the things you did wrong. Tell me the things you did right because I want to follow after you. But usually we ask people who are no further down the road than we are. Someone's having marital problems. A guy walks by your cubicle or your office and says, How you doing? You go, Come in. I need someone to talk to. And he's just as dumb as you are. And you start going, Well, my wife, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, Well, I'll tell you what I do. La, 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 la. And you go, That's right. That's what I'm doing. And you compound the stupidity. You're double stupid when you listen to stupid people. Someone's in serious financial trouble. Usually they talk to somebody in debt. Borrow more money. That's what I'd do. You got to spend money to make money or to have fun. Don't ask advice from your peers. And here's the thing. Some of you are going, yeah, well, I've had some bad advice. Chances are, if you've had bad advice in the past, even if they're from Christians who are older than you that have more experience than you, usually the bad advice we get is from people who are no further down the road than we are, spiritually or emotionally or relationally. Regardless of what titles they have before their names, find people who are doing it right and ask them. Don't ask advice from dumb people. I love dumb people. Just don't ask their advice. What Rehoboam did right was he asked this older group of men. He said, said, what do you think I should do? Because they had context. They'd watched his dad for 40 years. They said, here's what we would do. But but his friends, they had no more experience than him. They were just a bunch of dumb punks. And he made the dumbest decision of his life. And his friends were obviously more interested in his kingdom than they were in him. Find folks who where you want to be. And ask to borrow their map. Number four. If possible, choose more than one person. Um, If you're confused in a decision that you need to make, don't make a decision. Because the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. And here's the amazing thing. God is so powerful and His Spirit is available to all of us that, that God can tell me something... He can tell James the same thing at another place. He can tell Jesse the same thing at another place. And then all of a sudden when we come together and we start talking, well, this is what I sense God saying. Well, look at this verse. This is what God showed me. This is what I feel like God's saying. And when God confirms it, that should be a green light. You go that way. You don't blame God when you make bad choices. You, You ask several people that you respect. Number five, choose someone you know and someone you don't. I've gone to people that I really didn't know well, but they were very successful in business or they were very successful in launching churches. And I said, hey, I need to pick your brain because I'm clueless. And they're more than willing to give you some invaluable advice. Number six, when you go to meet with these people, go in ready to listen for God's voice. And I'm not talking about, you know, the Catholic priesthood where, you know, I'm above you and somebody's above me. And it's kind of like this multi-level Christian marketing thing. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about God gives other people wisdom because sometimes we cannot see we're too close to the situation. So you say, God, if you want to speak to me through this person, help me get it. Give me clear instructions. I want to hear from you. I know you want to be heard. So help me to hear from them. And then watch out because God's going to blow your mind. Now, three questions you need to ask if you go to somebody for wisdom. Number one, as far as you know, is this contrary to Scripture? You ask this especially if you're a new believer and you don't know uh, Scripture very well. People all the time call up and say, What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And, and very often it's, it's questions that I've had for years and it's very easy to answer because I've researched these things before. There's Sometimes people ask me and I go, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. And I go to scripture because God is never, God's will is never going to be for you to violate his word. This is written down. This does not change. This is our authority. When you're under his authority, he blesses you. When you're out from under his authority, you receive curses from God because you are his enemy and he will discipline. Bible says if you're not disciplined, you're not a child of his. So thank God for discipline because he brings us back and it teaches us things. Number two, second question. What do you think is the wise thing for me to do? Many times it's not a right or wrong answer. Many times you're, you're trying to decide, should I stay in Palestine or should I go somewhere else? Should I take this job or that job? Should I go to this school or that school? What should I do? What is the wise thing to do? And here's what you're asking. This is where you need somebody who knows you. Because you need to say, considering my background... These things that, that you know that I've done wrong or these things that you know that, that affect me spiritually or these sins that I that, that are in my life. Based on that and based on where I want to be 10, 15 years from now, what is the wise thing for me to do? Because I'm just going to tell you straight up. You go to somebody who loves you and has a little bit of perspective on life, they will save you from a world of hurt. I see it all the time. The number one drain on me emotionally is marriage counseling. And I'm not talking about pre-marriage counseling. That's awesome because everybody's like, whatever you say, I'll do because I want this to work. It's awesome. I'm talking about the folks who come to me and and I'm the last stop before the judge. It sucks the life out of me because I think, God, this is not what you intended for marriage. And had they stopped somewhere along the road and had some wise counselors and followed that counsel, they would be experiencing life as you wanted them to, to experience it. But they're not. And it kills me. And there are times I go home and, and I pray and my heart just aches. Because I know, I know there's nothing can be done sometimes. There's no longer a pulse and somebody's dug in their heels. And they're saying, I'm not going to do it. And God's going to forgive me if I get a divorce. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, da-da-da-da, and I say, well, God does not have to forgive you. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God has to forgive you if you're an arrogant, insolent punk. The Bible says when your heart is tender... When you bow before God and you say, oh, God, you remember Psalm 51, if you want to know if your attitude's right, read Psalm 51, because David, when he's been caught with his sin uh, with Bathsheba, he says, oh, my God, I just read this this week. He said, I have sinned against you. And when he had the right attitude, God lifted him up and cleansed him. He didn't wipe out the consequences. God said, because you violated my commands, the sword will never leave your house. And, and he had sons try to kill him because of his, his disobedience to God before. He had a man killed to cover up the pregnancy of, of Bathsheba. And God said, because you did this, the sword will never leave your house. He had sons chasing him out of the kingdom because of his sin against God. God forgave him, but he didn't wipe out the consequences. We've got to be willing to stop and ask, what is the wise thing for me to do? And where I want to be in the future, I need need some help. Proverbs 28, 26 says this, he who trusts in his own heart is a what? But he who walks wisely will be delivered. God delivers you many times through the wise counsel of others. Third question to ask. It's real simple. What would you do if you were me? Based on what you've experienced in your life, what choice would you make if you were standing in my shoes? If you will let him, God will blow your mind with how he'll use the body of Christ to bring wisdom into your life. Some of you won't do this, though, because you're too proud. Some of you think, I got this. I don't, I don't need God's help. And, and some of you just don't want to hear what others have to say. If you find yourself avoiding a conversation with someone who has a little bit of wisdom and someone who knows you, This should be a huge red flag saying there's a problem here and I'm willing to bet if you're avoiding Christian counsel because you don't want to hear what they say, God is the one waving that flag saying don't do it, don't do it. I will save you from a world of hurt if you will listen to wise counsel. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. If you just like being hurt and if you just like making stupid decisions then just ignore everything I've said today. And just keep on screwing up. But if you're tired of that path, maybe you should listen to what your Heavenly Father wants to say to you. I want you to think, while you've got your head, heads about. I want you to think about the worst decision that you've ever made. And in your heart, I want you to answer this question. Did you involve wise counsel? Did you ask wise people what you should do? That's a real simple yes or no. Remember that answer because you're going to write it on the back of your card in a minute. Number two, this is right now. Do you regularly involve the right people, wise people, in your major decisions? That's a yes or no. Look at the patterns of your life. Are you regularly asking older, wiser Christ followers what you should do to give you just a little bit of advice? Not because you can't make decisions, but because you want to yield to your Father. That's a yes or no question. And then you're going to write down why. Are you proud? Do you just not want to hear what people say? Or are you one of them that, yeah, I do that because I'm dumb and I don't want to be dumb anymore? Third question. Which of these three questions do you need to ask most right now in major decisions in your life? Is it contrary to Scripture? What is the wise thing for me to do? What would you do if you were me? Father, save us from ourselves... And teach us to depend on you through fully devoted Christ followers. Give us your wisdom. Point us the right direction. And then, Father, help us to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever David um, had been confronted about his sin with Bathsheba, you know, he confesses his sin. He says all this stuff. Well, later in his life, David decides he wants to build a house for God. And so he tells the prophet... He says, I think I should build a house for God and the prophet who's his wise counselor, the prophet goes, "Do whatever your heart desires." Prophet goes home and God speaks to him that night and says, "He is not the one to build my house." So the prophet gets up the next day and he goes, "Um, David?" God says, "No." He was he was smart enough and courageous enough to go back and say, "God says you don't get to do that, but your son can do that." And David received that and he gathered all the supplies, all the materials so that Solomon could build this great kingdom. Here's the thing. Even if you ask wise people and they've not spent any time praying about it, they have very little chance of hearing from God. So give them some time to go and pray about it and then come back and talk about it and see what God says. 'Cause you gotta be if you tell somebody, Oh, sure, go do that, there's no problem with that and then God troubles your heart, you better be willing to go back and say, Oh, I, I I blew it. I think God's saying red light. Alright?